buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Today's episode, super pumped. Had a fantastic conversation with Todd Abbott. He's the CEO uh, over at Insight Squared, which is a super interesting technology that's taken a lot of work uh, away from the salespeople so that they can focus more on selling time. It's also giving revenue leaders the insights that they need to make better decisions. And we go through his you know, work experience and his sales experience of working in uh, mid-cap and large-cap companies, driving revenue, managing teams, and get his perspective on things. So I hope you enjoy this episode and there's tons of value. So make sure you grab a pen and take some notes. Todd, welcome to Sales Transformation. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm, uh, we, we had a bit of a bumpy start, but but we we found a place to make it work. There we go. <laughs> so, <laughs> appreciate you showing up today, uh, finding a a room with with better audio quality. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so let's just kind of you know dig right in here. You know, give us your your backstory. You're like, how did you get into the work that you di- you've been doing? Um, and we'll kind of take it from there. Yeah, so I've I've been in the sales uh, profession right out of right out of university. Kind of learned the trade at IBM. I uh, really learned the whole strategic consultative selling. This was when IBM was in its heyday. Uh, and then mm-hmm. joined Cisco, uh, Cisco Systems during its growth growth era. I mean, started at a billion and left at nineteen. It was just a tremendous ride. Uh, and what I really learned there was the sales process, the sales management process. Um, was we really had it down to a science. Um, got the opportunity to to be overseas for six years with them, so became a global exec. Uh, and then I've been a CRO kind of ever since for mostly mid-cap, large-cap. Um, always had an analytical side, always struggled with getting the data, um, mm. but uh, but really a sales sales guy at heart. Awesome. I want to dig into your experience at Cisco there and the one thing that really caught my attention, and I know just from our chat briefly before, that you're passionate about is the science of sales. Can you break yeah. that down for me? Yeah. So uh, with Cisco, it was really the science of sales management, um, mm. the rigor 
of what you do weekly, monthly, quarterly. I mean, it was, I, it was a, there was a cadence to it. Uh, and that cadence becomes the rhythm of, of driving behavior and the culture of an organization. Um, I didn't really understand or appreciate that coming from IBM, but there it was, it, the rigor was amazing. Um, and it just forced everybody to align. We're, this is what we're going to do every Monday. This is what we're going to do uh, once a month, week two, week three. Um, and this is what we're going to do quarterly. And the way we looked at the business and the supporting uh, metrics and, and management reporting drove an alignment on a global scale that was amazing. I didn't really appreciate it until I mm. left there afterwards and tried to get that into other organizations. Um, but that rhythm and the and the alignment of it was amazing. And th- you'd never skipped a beat. And so our ability to get a pulse on the business from a regional level up to a European or Asian or US and to a corporate level within three days of every week was was amazing. And and that's what I really learned there from a from a science of the management system. Yeah. And um, how large was the sales organization at that time? Oh my gosh. Um I mean when I joined we were a billion a billion dollars. Um uh, how many salespeople did we have then? I'd be guessing um but well over a thousand you know thousands uh when I left. Yeah. Um you know, we were 19 billion. I mean, the sales organization was huge, but that cadence of the management system never changed. I mean, literally the CEO, John Chambers, would get a pulse by Wednesday of every week as it rolled up through the processes, um, would be able to keep a pulse on how things were going over a 13-week quarter. Every quarter had 13 weeks. And so the ability for the business and for me in my business to have a pulse as to how things are going. Are we on track? Are we off? And to know when to hit the gas uh, or when to tap the brakes in a very timely manner was a, yeah. was a huge competitive advantage. And what were some things that were essential to keeping that pulse accurate? Uh, the roll-ups from the field. I think the number one thing was having this commit culture uh, down to the rep level. So, now, we didn't use terms like forecast. Uh, we used terms like commit. And and everybody need, needed to run their business down to a rep level. You you owned your business and you needed to commit to your business. Um, and the systems were set up to really drive a level of, of, um, of accuracy on the forecast um, uh, that would narrow as the as as you moved up the organization, right? Like so, running a large theater like Europe, um, I had to be within five percent. Uh, a rep had to be within ten percent. The CRO has got to be within two percent. And so you're managing a portfolio of business. But how yeah. do you drive a discipline at the rep level where they are accountable for the status of a deal, the status of a forecast? There was no there was no acceptance or tolerance with um, with sandbagging or with making commitments based on hope. They were both just as bad because yeah. what you're trying to do is optimize uh, a visibility of the business that if we're ahead of plan based upon good quality data, go hire more, right? When you're doubling every yeah. year, the, the ability to accelerate investment in the growth engine of the business um, mid-quarter, hugely competitive advantage versus most organizations wait till the end of the quarter, wait till two, three weeks later. How did we do? Oh gosh, we're ahead of plan. Like let's, let's invest. Our ability to, 
to basically hit the gas if things are going well in this region or this part of the world, um, or to know when to tap the brakes, um, or know when things are something's a little bit wobbly, like something's changing, and go figure out what's going on. Uh, that was what was so impressive in the business, but it started with the culture of the commit at the rep level. Yeah, no, that's amazing. You rarely hear of sales organizations with that accurate of, you know, their forecasts. So I'm just curious, like what contributed to that discipline of a sales culture to be able to be that, that accurate in the data? Um, well, so at the end of the day, you, you, there was a culture of, of execution and performance. You had to do what you say you're going to do. And if you, if you couldn't do that, if that wasn't your skill set, then you were purged from the business pretty quick. Um, uh, and so as a, there was a lot of pressure put on uh, good constructive pressure, right? There was a level of accountability at the management level. Like you were empowered, but you're also accountable. And so you could miss, um, but you couldn't miss two, three times. But it was it was all about if when you missed, it was all about trying to, to teach why you miss, like even down to the rep level, like like reps are going to miss. First line managers are going to miss. And my whole focus and the whole focus of the culture was, do you know why you missed? Uh, what didn't you know about that deal? What didn't you know about your portfolio of business? And what are you going to do differently? Uh, and so we had a commit culture that was every week. So you you committed every week. If you missed last week, why'd you miss? So it wasn't yeah. monthly or quarterly cycles of learning. It was weekly. And so yeah. when you missed, why did you miss? What information did you need to have? What should you have had? What what judgment didn't you incorporate in? And so this concept of accountability to the commit was a weekly cultural aspect that then enabled us to be much more effective monthly, quarterly. And it was all about what information do you need to run your business, to know your business, so that I, as a GM, can rely on the information that's flowing up, right? What you're trying to do is get the qualitative judgment out of the process by getting more quality data from the bottoms up. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And to have that weekly feedback loop (laughs) rather than the monthly or quarterly um, allows you, you know, even down at the rep level to be constantly learning, you know, why did I not, why did I not, you know, close this commit? Why, you know, what could I have done differently? So you're constantly thinking about little small areas that you can improve to get more accurate with your commits. That's right. And and the culture was one as well as on peer pressure is that uh, at a manager level um, uh, or an executive level, if one region was not executing, uh, everybody understood that I was accountable to the business. And so we were going to have to, as a team, make up for that region. And that also went down to the region level when because of the commit culture, when a rep wasn't going to deliver this week, this month, this quarter, um, we everybody needs to step up. I need to pull other business in because we've got to make our commitment to the business. That's why I really love that. I didn't appreciate it at first, but I really love this concept of it's not a forecast. Anybody can forecast. Mm. We want you to commit. And you yeah. can't commit unless you know the business. It doesn't mean you're going to commit to the number, but just commit to what you're going to do and then deliver. Um, yeah. And And so if you can drive that down through the organization and have weekly learning curves, weekly yeah. accountability as a team, um, then your ability to have information flow and to execute as a team go up exponentially. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, it's it's not common for people to do that weekly. No. Why why is that? Um, well, when you're growing as fast as in a high growth business, you have to be thinking about um, uh, increments of time that that drive as as well of a linear performance as possible. Right? There's too many businesses that do a tremendous amount in week 12, week 13. Right? There's 13 selling weeks in a quarter, um, and so. How do you drive a weekly mindset um, that enables us to understand where are we against the quarter's commit? Where do I need to be by the end of week four? Where do I need to be by the end of week eight? Like in our system, we knew where we were going to finish by week seven or week eight. Statistically, if you were on track on week seven, week six, week seven, middle of the quarter, you were in good Mm. shape. If you were off, um, then that's where we put the focus on. How do we get you back on track? Um, and so the weekly mindset uh, was very critical from a feeding of the growth standpoint. Like when we were ahead, like tell that region to go hire more people. Uh, when we were behind and there was open mm-hmm. rec, let's go understand what's going on. Do we have an execution issue? Is there something going on in that country or that region? Like what's going on? So we could assess um, what we do with that business and where we needed to make up for it elsewhere. So the weekly process uh, allowed us to have a sense of confidence and execution focus um, over the 90 days that that just was really impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, not quite making decisions in real time, but pretty darn close. Pretty darn close. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I want to touch on something that you did mention a couple of times is so you mentioned you didn't appreciate this. <laughs> as much until later. So I'm curious to know if there is some experiences um, where you didn't have that sort of culture or that sort of, you know, weekly uh, feedback loop to an an accuracy in the data that did make you appreciate it more after. Uh, You know, absolutely. After I left Cisco, um, I then became an executive in companies that ultimately were bringing in new leadership to go through a transformation. and I've never experienced the weekly execution accountability uh, culture like we had at Cisco. It was built that way. I give a lot of credit to the initial early leadership for having established that. Um, uh, and so trying to put that into uh, a, a, you know, existing companies where I came in, um, wow, it's really hard. It takes time. Um, it yeah. does not happen overnight. And I've learned that it can literally take you know, a good six to 12 months to get there. Um, and the dependency is that, that uh, the critical success factor, frankly, is your first line leadership team. Like, like when I pop into a new new role, that's the first place I want to I want to look at is what's the quality of the first line team, and I've got to get them aligned, uh, both intellectually and emotionally, to this process is going to help them execute. It's not right for everybody. Not everybody loves this this weekly inspection and accountability. Um, and I've just learned how hard it is to do a transformation of a culture and make no mistake about it. This weekly, monthly, quarterly commit culture, uh, commit uh, execution mindset is a cultural shift. Yeah. Um, and so I've just learned what are the, there's some there's some real tricks to the trade to get there. But you've got to be really mindful of the time it takes. Like it doesn't happen overnight um, and you've got to be patient with it. And the only way you can get there with patience is if you've got a leadership team that's bought in. Like I spend all yeah. my time making sure that the leadership team understands what we're doing and why, 
how we're going to measure it. The measurement system has to align to what we're doing and why. But if you don't have them bought into what you're doing and why you're doing it, then you'll never get there. The, the needle will never move. Um, mm. And so you've got to get the, that team to really understand and appreciate it because then they're bought in because they've got to change their own behaviors. They've got to change their own approach. And um, and if I can get the first line team to that level, then then I know I'm off to the races. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's probably some revenue leaders that would love to know any tips about <laughs> getting the leadership team bought in on that idea to get more accurate on. Got to invest know, a lot of time is the, is the end of it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of one on one time, um, a lot of group time. Um, but it's it, like I will manage through my layers of management to the first line team because I know that's where it, it, it it's made or break. Yeah. And so what, what, what's, what's more of the norm that you've seen through your experiences, um, as far as like, you know, accuracy and forecasting versus what you experienced at Cisco? Um, well, so I'd answer that question differently for like, you know, the first quarter or two, like it takes, um, you know, again, it depends upon the size of the organization, but if I'm talking about a large, larger sales organization, two to 300 plus, um, now you're looking at a minimum of three to four quarters to really get the comfort level and the skill sets uh, to be able to start to see the the benefit, the accountability, and the results on forecast at the rep and and, and first line manager level. In my experience, it takes it, it will take that long, um, and the hardest part is getting them to be comfortable. That commitment and meeting your commitment. It's not about job security, right? You don't want fear in the organization. Um, and so you got to strike that right balance of um, you're letting your peers down because your peers are going to have to make up when you don't meet your commitment more than your job's in jeopardy, right? Um, and so that's the hard part. And so, so that is what takes the longest is getting people comfortable because most reps just don't like to commit deals till very late in the process. And you've got to get them over that to say, Hey, this deal, yeah, I'm going to get it across the goal line this month, this quarter, and not wait till you get the verbal. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I can hire anybody to give me that forecast. Like I need you to tell me yeah. you're going to get it across the goal line and then drive the organization to help you get it across the goal line. But why um, Why is it, do you think, that a lot of reps tend to be reluctant to commit to the very end or sandbag <laughs> i mean because they're they've grown up in so many organizations once they give visibility to a deal then they wind up being under tremendous pressure right right why do reps hide deals in the upside um come in with sandbag deals that they knew all along were going to be uh we're going they that were high odds to come in they just don't want the scrutiny and the exposure and the and the perceived pressure um that's why the, the key art of this whole thing is to is to not have the commit translate to more pressure, to more interrogation, yeah. to more inspection. Um, you've got to develop this team camaraderie around the commit. And um, and it takes time uh, and it's a real art for, at the first line level. So that's why you, know, you got to spend a lot of time teaching the management team how to implement a management system like this. Um, I mean, I think the key there is really what you just said right? Is reps are in fear that it's going to, you know, create more pressure, create more stress, create more 
questions, more meetings with management, more, hey, where's it, you know, updates on this deal, all of the stuff that they don't want to deal with. That's right. So creating a safe culture and environment where they need to feel comfortable doing that. And it's like you said, it's going to take time because you can tell them that they might not trust that right away. That's right. Um, and they kind of kind of ease into it. It was like, Hey, I committed this deal and nobody's breathing down my neck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. And when they miss, it's not about, you know, public thrashings. Um, but, but all their peers know they missed because I, as a manager, am now going to their peers and saying, Hey, I need you, I need your help. I got to, we got to pull on a couple of deals this month because, you know, Johnny or Sally uh, are going to miss. And if Johnny and Sally are missing every month and we're putting pressure on the team, the peer pressure, frankly, is what determines can that individual step up or not. Uh, and sometimes they can't, right? But what you want mm -hmm. is people to self-assess and self-select out. Um, it doesn't need to be public. And that's the art of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, the interesting thing now is with some of the new technology, um, we're, we're, rem we're removing the uh, capability for reps to, uh, to hide deals or to hope a deal is going to come in, right? Because right. data analytics now um, is, is making it so that I don't need to spend uh, the time interrogating and inspecting, that systems now are doing that uh, and forcing a level of transparency um, that takes the noise out of the system and right. frankly makes the discussions or the, or the feelings. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Like you know. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really great point. Yeah. Like, There's no have, more like, Hey, Todd's a nice guy. Pretty sure he's going to work with us. We had a great conversation. Well, sorry, but that's not what the data is saying. <laughs> that's right. And you know, the, when you can get everybody aligned to the facts or the facts, Let's deal with the reality as it is, not the way we'd like it to be. Um, then you can have much more engaging, constructive discussions. And so that's what's most I'm most excited about relative to the advancements in technology is the inspection that I would have I've done over my career and it's still done being done in many, many places. Yeah. Um, we can change that dynamic fundamentally. And it's good for the rep. It's great for the management team and the process is so much more effective in delivering consistently. Right. And there's no, there's no bias or no, you know, I hope feel or any of that. The facts are the facts. So, and, and I'm, so I'm curious, um, you know, what sort of technology are we talking about? What sort of data are we capable of capturing and, you know, how is that making things easier for the rep and for the, you know, revenue team? Yeah. So I think the first thing is uh, there's a, uh, there's some great uh, automatic activity capture technology that captures the digital engagement between your customer facing team and the customer. And what we've learned is that engagement level is the best indicator of the health of a deal, right? This is going to mm -hmm. sound obvious, but when a customer is engaging, meaning they're responding to your rep or SE's email, they're scheduling meetings, they're looking at your attach attachments, they're engaging with you. Uh, they'll do that when your value prop uh, resonates with them. They'll, they're investing time because it's worth it to them. At, at some point in a, in a bad deal, they start to check out. Uh, mm -hmm. And when they check out, how do you 
determine that. Now, the best reps know that, um, but I as a management team or I as the ability to assess the quality of that deal in the funnel, I'm still dependent on the rep. But right. now we have the ability to capture all of that digital engagement and take the rep, take the dependency of the rep on their key punching activities. Like I don't need them to put it into Salesforce. So we can capture all of the email flow to and from the meetings, uh, adding contacts. This is a, another great example. We're finding that about 30 to 40% of the contacts in the buying group uh, is, is actually in your CRM system. Because reps, they don't, there's nothing in it for them to add another contact. And any of the overlays or SEs, like they don't add anything. And so you don't really even have a good view as to who is actually engaging as the buying group expands through the sales process. Um, how many contacts does it really take to win? Do you know? And what meetings are critical? Uh, uh, what meeting conversions are critical? Because if you think about a sales process, it's really about converting meetings. Right. You're engaging through the process. You're bringing more. The customers bringing more people to the buying group and you're educating through the process until you fundamentally get to a meeting where the executives are there to make a decision. Right. And if you know what the key meetings are and, you know, are, is this deal progressing? It, did it convert to the next meeting to the customer staying engaged? Well, if I'm capturing or, all, all of the engagement, like after yeah. the meeting, like there's now we can sit, we can do analytics on what happened in the meeting. Uh, we can get you keywords and who's talked and what's the engagement level. But what happens after that meeting? Did they schedule the next one? Did they open your email? Did they look at the attachment on the post-meeting material? And if they didn't, maybe that meeting didn't go so well. Right. And how do you get the customer back? So with, with this activity capture and the analytics you can provide, like we can now provide real-time insights through the sales process and identify potential deals that are stalling or worse, are dead, um, like that's all false positive on funnel coverage. And and so automatic activity capture, automatic contact capture uh, with the rep not having to do anything. It's not coding emails or putting this in the subject header, like get them out of that business so they can go out and sell and then be able to provide the insights from the analytics directly to the rep on the deal as well as strategically look at like, what does my sales process look like? And where are the inflection points that we need to be focused on as a business to improve the outcomes of the sales team? Right. Or even as a whole, deals are typically dropping off at this point. So what's wrong with the sales process that we need to fix or deals are, you know, people buy the buying group is becoming not engaged and having a, you know, plays around at the right time in the right moment uh, to re-engage them properly without waiting too long and wondering or thinking. I, I, um, I think you say it really well, right? Like like the one of the big mindset changes that I've had, um, having now been in this technology for the last year, um, we've all grown up uh, looking at deals and the quality of the funnel based upon sales stage. Um, and I now believe that that's uh, a bit misguided because reps are horrible about keeping stuff at the proper stage because what do they care? There's nothing in it for them. And I, every time I've done a funnel review or a forecast review and looking at deals and saying, oh, you tell me a proposal's done, but this is still an eval or even worse qualifications, like it's in the wrong stage. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go get that fixed. I mean, that happens everywhere because there's nothing in it for a rep. What They don't care. And so yeah. I, I've, I've done a complete flip to say um, in my business, I know in my commercial business as an example, that if I can get to meeting seven or eight, I win 60% of the time. And I know I've got to get past meeting three to meeting four. 
Because if I can get past that, that's when I start to win. But my biggest inflection point is, is in that meeting three to four. I didn't know that before I had, didn't have this analytics. But now I can start to look at deals to say, which deal had a, had a meeting three but didn't get the fourth meeting scheduled? Because my reps are conditioned. You always Your first validation of a good meeting is the customer willing to commit to the next meeting. Right? When they say, hey, you know what, we're going to converse and we'll get back to you. And then the rep spends the next two, three weeks, four weeks trying to get the customer back. Like You may have lost that deal coming out of the meeting. And how do you identify those deals and put tactics in place to get that customer back? Or if it's dead, get it out of your funnel because it's just a false positive on your coverage. Right. Um, and so the analytics now possible. That's what I mean by the science of sales. Like engagement level is the best indicator. Right. And 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 now we can get that um, without the interrogation. Right. Right. And. And I mean, just even the insights of knowing your close rate, if, if you get to a certain level of meetings is huge and knowing that the biggest drop off is between say meeting three and four and just be, you know, hyper engaged with the prospect and, and, and much more thorough as a rep to make sure, Hey, we got to get them from meeting three to meeting four because right. increases our chance by X if we can get that done. Um, it puts a whole new level of awareness on, on the entire team uh, to know, you know, the certain areas where, where a deal can go south really quickly. That's right. And, and I've always struggled as a CRO in my career, like um, getting the alignment on improving our sales team's execution. Like I always viewed our sales team as, hey, listen, this is not my team. This is the company sales team. And I need, uh, I believe um, that there's more dependency on the revenue sales function than any other function in the company. I need good quality leads and marketing support. I need product management. I need ops support. I like, like you need more support. And the challenge is how do you bring everybody to the table to address the critical inflection points or friction points in the sales process? Because everybody comes to those meetings with their own data. Like marketing says, I got all these leads. Look at all this great content. And you, you know, this, you should, you should never be losing. And product says, there's no way you should ever be losing. And well, well hold on a sec. Like if I can come to the table and say, well, actually, Mm -hmm. um, meeting three, meeting four is really critical. And where I'm winning, we're using this material or the material you're touting. Actually, none of my reps are using. So let's stop talking about that and help me improve conversion from meeting three to four. Yeah. And so what data cohorts am I am I converting versus not? Is it different? Uh, is it different regions, different people, different industries? Let's get under the under the table or under under the, the the covers from a data standpoint and help me understand or product. I know you think you should never lose, but actually, when this competitor is mentioned, my win rate drops in half. So help me get my team to be able to compete against that competitor more effectively, and knowing where it happens in the sales process because I now have the data. Yeah. Now all these functions can come to the table and say, if we improve our sales team's execution between meeting three and four, and it flows through to where I win 60, 70% of the time. Wow. That's how you move the needle. Yeah. Or even just that level of awareness can help you to be more pro proactive about a lot of things. That's right. You know? And, and I, I mean, I believe one of the reasons that the CROs, that the, the, the life cycle of a CRO and a PEVC backed uh, small medium business is like 16 to 18 months now. And, and I believe one of the fundamental reasons I've seen this with my customers, I've experienced it myself, is a, a lot of times 
uh, we come from the art of sales and most CEOs or CFOs really don't understand the sales process. And so when you don't deliver on the quarter, it has to be people, right? You, it must be, and it starts with the leader. Um, and when you miss two quarters in a row, typically the CRO takes the bullet because it buys the CEO more time, say, because he can, he or she can stand up to the board and say, yeah, I, I have an execution issue. We're making a change. Mm. And in, and what, what we've always faced as CROs is I have never had the data set that brings all these functions together and say, well, here's why we missed. Um, I didn't get enough quality leads or we didn't make the improvement we expected in this conversion or my win rate dropped against this competitor. Like, like the, and the CRO has never had the data to be able to really differentiate what does this function say versus this function versus that. And it just reverts back to must be sales execution. And so what I'm really after is helping CROs gain control of the revenue process and the alignment of the functions by everybody looking at the same data. Like let's, this is the sales process team and help me improve conversions here or here. Or if I need to get the CRO to the table earlier, if he's your key executive, like in my case, when I get him to the table and meeting seven, eight, that's when I win 60% of the time. What are the tactics and strategies that I can start to in- implement from an ABM standpoint to get that CRO to the table sooner? Because if I can get to 60 or 70% by meeting six or seven, like the throughput of my sales team, our sales team, yeah. that moves the needle, right? And yeah. so the aligning function by, by everybody looking at the same data, that's, I think, what's so exciting about the state of technology in, in, in the revenue ops function. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make some much more collaborative decisions together rather than the typical finger pointing. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, Todd, it's been awesome having you on today. Uh, really appreciate learning more about your story and, uh, and about these new, this new technology and, and how, you know, beneficial it could be. So before I let you go, you know, where can people find out more? Where can they follow you and any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, so, uh, absolutely. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, uh, and my email is uh, T Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T at, at insidesquared.com. Um, I'm I'm happy to engage, uh, offer perspective, share share advice. Um, like my whole passion in life, having been a CRO for a long time, is is to is to fundamentally change that average tenure of CROs. Let's get that thing way up above two to three years, um, and that's the technology we're trying to develop. So, I think uh, it's exciting times, and I welcome the opportunity to to either support you or be a contact within the business. Awesome. Thanks so much, Todd. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review, share the show with your friends. And as always, we are listening for your feedback. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.